The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. Has a McMahon contacted you since then? Bro, I had not talked to Shane in 15 years. First thing he does, buries the product to me. Right, another week, another week of love. Showing the love. Showing love for me. You know what? It's funny though. I put a question out on Twitter the other day. It was on my mind. I was thinking about whether wrestling fans had. Well, I knew the answer to this already. It's something I talked about with other people. Wrestling fans have a few things in common. It's generally not the only thing they're into so you start to look at are there commonalities in the things that they're into does that maybe i don't know, speak psychologically to to who they are right because you've got like if look if you've studied if you've studied serial killers like i have right then you know there's something called the homicidal triad something that they consistently see in the childhoods of these killers. Okay, and that's bedwetting, animal torture, and um, fire starting. Okay. Individually, kids may have these things, but when they're together, okay, when they're when they're all together, it's known as the homicidal triad. It's it's generally a mix that, as a parent, you don't want to find. It's not going to go well. So it's fire starting, animal cruelty, and bedwetting, of all things. But listen, the, the guys from the FBI, Behavioral Science Unit, John Douglas, one of the pioneers... Robert Ressler, he's a wrestler, not wrestler. That's how I can crowbar him into the to being relevant on this show. His name is Ressler, R-E-S-S-L-E-R, who I met. I had the pleasure of meeting. He signed a copy of his book, Whoever Fights Monsters. Now, these guys were the pioneers. I think there's a bit of a rivalry between, like, Douglas and and wrestler as to who was in on the ground floor. But there's a whole series that Netflix is now producing based on John Douglas's publishings about the behavioral science unit. All that to say, they went out, they studied these guys that were doing this, mostly men, and they put together this this homicidal triad, okay? So now, (laughs) the wrestling fan... This is what what this is in the young wrestling fan is the undateable triad. When there's the, when there are these three things, they're getting no action. Okay, things may be different now. I don't know, but this is guys my age. This is what. First of all, well, I put it out there. I said, "What did you guys think?" I said, "Finish this sentence." Wrestling fans also. 
Um, also love, how did I actually uh, actually put it? So, like, finish this sentence. Jeez, isn't it funny? Wrestling fans are also into... And then I left it open. Here's some of what went out. Ryan McCormick said complaining. Matthew Boyle and Salvatore Martone both said comic books. Which may, you know, that may, that may be true. Liquid said getting themselves over. Matthew Boyle said South Park. That's an interesting one. Have to think about that one. It might be... Uh, Steve Bennett said group sex. That ain't happening. Unless, unless you count the right hand and the left hand as a menage a trois. Uh, Will Sting 8 said smoked meat snack sticks. Casino Indian said pornography, but that's like half the world. Probably all the all the world. So here is what I feel is the wrestling fans triad. The homicidal triad of wrestling fans. The undateability of wrestling fans is cemented by the following three, the following three things. First of all, wrestling. Secondly, KISS. The band KISS. And lastly, horror films from the 80s. That's it. If you got all three going for you, no chick is even walking into your house. The, the, you know, the, 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 you look at the three things. Now, independently, they have nothing to do with each other. Or maybe they do. This is, this is what should be examined. Maybe they do. All right, so you've got wrestling, right? You've got the pageantry. You've got the show. Maybe that's connected to Kiss a little bit, right, with the, the pageantry. Characters, the, you know, the demon and the star child and the cat man. Maybe, maybe that's, the, that's the link. That's the link between them. And then horror films. I don't know where. The, I, I, well, now the kiss thing, I guess, with the, the the demon and the blood gene. I don't know, but that I'm telling you, they're there. If you ran a wrestling convention on Friday and a and a kiss convention on Saturday and a horror convention on Sunday, you're seeing you're seeing the same people every day. You're seeing the same people, and the irony is, kiss. Wrestling and horror. You lo- just look at them. Look at the, the physicality of those attending these conventions, okay? They're not going to be a rock star. Okay, Kiss fan, not going to be a rock star. Not going to be a wrestler. The best odds you've got with that crew is that one of them might be a serial killer. So that would satisfy the, the horror genre. The three things they invest the most amount of time into, the Kiss, Wrestling, and hard, you, you probably have best odds of, of that. Now, when I was in high school, I'm talking about late '80s, right? This was mad uncool then. Now I went to an urban school. I as a white American, I was very much the minority, so I, I had such a hurdle to get over to be cool anyway. And any of that action was was not was not going to help my cause. I had to closet a lot of that stuff, you know. I, mean, I know kids walked around closeting their sexuality. Try try to try to closet being 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 a fan of God of Thunder. 
for, for God's sakes. How silly it would be. Kiss, wrestling, and horror movies. All those kids, were, they, they would be voted most likely to reference God of Thunder, The Dusty Finish, and Basket Case. That's in their high school yearbook, is, is what it says. I'm not sure why that is. I, there is a thread. It's something to be discussed. You can let me know what you think. KFAP, at KFAP on Twitter. These, you know what? These are the things. When I forget to bring my phone into the john. This is what's on my mind. This is what it is. I don't keep magazines in there. When the phone doesn't come in with me, this is what. And you know what? Let's be let's be frank. The phone shouldn't be in the bathroom to start with, right? I mean, this is just think of the surface of people. Next time your friend hands you your phone, and says, "Look, look at this. Look at this picture. Look at this picture of my dog." Think of where that phone was earlier today. No doubt, no doubt, it was in the bathroom. This is a true story. You know what happened to me one time? Sitting on the bowl. I was in a I was in a public place. So I generally don't like to sit, but you know how this goes. You, you just got to do it sometimes. So I'm sitting on the toilet, and I have my phone, and there's no surface on which to put it down when it's time to take some paper and finish the deal. So I, I dropped the phone on my... Now, you know, my pants are down below my knees, right? So it's like like my underwear is is right there down between my legs. So I lay my phone there, okay? It's the, it's the, listen, there was no room on top of the toilet dis- paper dispenser. God, you can't put it on the floor. It's, it's, so there was really nowhere to put it. So, I, put, so I, you know, I get my paper, and I'm done. I finish up. I leave. I walk out, and I, I'm hit with panic. Halfway down the corridor where I was, I I have that that naked feeling, you know, when you don't have your phone. You go, oh, my God. How will people reach me immediately? And, uh, and, I, and I, I start to turn back to run into the restroom in a panic. And I realize or maybe feel that I have pulled up my pants with the phone resting beneath it. And it is now up my ass. This is true. This is a true story. This actually happened. Now, you know you can't wet these things, right? You can't put them under the sink. This is going back a few years, too. I know they're they're water-resistant now, but they weren't then. <laughs> so guess what? If I ever ask you to, to take my phone and look at the dog that I don't have, you better think twice. All right, listen, you read wrestling books. There's a ton of them out there, right? You got memoirs, you got wrestlers' memoirs. The business of kayfabe, turning wrestlers' secrets into a million dollars, written by yours truly. Okay, now this chronicles the business lessons learned from running kayfabe commentaries for 12 years. My first book, Kayfabe uh, Stories You're Not Supposed to Hear from a Pro Wrestling Production Company owner. Number one bestseller in the wrestling category for almost 19 months, okay, on Amazon. This follow-up, The Business of Kayfabe, what are the business lessons inside these stories? What is there to learn from all of this time running the company? The personalities in pro wrestling have always been some of the most unique and entertaining in the world. 
And for more than 10 years, Kayfabe Commentaries has been the leading production company in the genre. Now you'll go inside the company. You'll see how it's done. Me, the on-camera ringmaster, co-owner of the company, I'm going to take you inside. I'm going to take you through all the components of building the business that brought the real-life personalities behind wrestling's outrageous uh, angles uh, to the masses. From our hits to our cancellations, there were lessons to be learned in all of it. Listen, tons of great stories. It's available in paperback, on Kindle, and on audiobook. Go check out Audible or grab it on iTunes, however you listen to your audiobooks. The Business of Kayfabe. See, I'm surprised that Eric doesn't see more of a kinship with you. Like Bruce, I get the whole like the pedigree of the wrestling family, and you know, you can pay your dues. You know, you know, taking pictures when you were eight years old at the arena. But Eric, though, here's a guy. He was a salesman. Um, I I wrote about you both, your, your lives in in Father's Blood, and he was. I I made comparisons between you because first of all. I realized that more than it, you, him, and I think JJ had all careers as salespeople, entrepreneurs and salespeople, which I thought, well, that's that's a natural entree into wrestling. I never thought about it until I talked to you guys and, and wrote the book. But but here's a guy who comes along. He he starts working for the AWA. OK, backdoor, you know, didn't grow up saying, God, I, I want to be a a wrestling personality or a writer or a booker backdoors it to at the time a hugely powerful individual Vern Gagne becomes his right hand man stays loyal to him I mean it's the Vince Russo Vince McMahon story isn't it you know what you know what it is with Eric bro you want to know what it is in a nutshell I'll tell you exactly what it is in a nutshell Sean there were instances one was it WCW one was at TNA. I can remember two very specific instances, bro, where I called him out on his bullshit. I called him out, bro. What bullshit? I called, what? I called him out in front of Brad Siegel. I called him out in front of Dixie Carter. Bro, nobody ever called out Eric Bischoff. And, bro, after I called him out, not once but twice, on his bullshit, oh, my God, bro, from that moment on, like he you you mentioned my name to him he sees right what bullshit what happened the bullshit was bro first of all i'll give you i'll, I'll give you both scenarios the first bullshit that happened at wcw was bro this happened right before the infamous bash at the beach okay bro to me brad siegel never defined eric bischoff's role to me all i know bro is i had a contract my contract was that I was head of creative, okay? When Bischoff came into play, Siegel said to me, I want you to work with Eric. That's all he said, bro. I want you not I, – I, to this day, I don't know what Eric's title was. I don't even know if he had one. But, but, but he would say to me, I want you to work with Eric. Okay, so no problem. Okay, bro, here's where I got a taste of Eric's work ethic. Okay, bro, uh, working with Eric means you do all the work and you send it to him and he redlines shit. 
Okay, that, that that's working with Eric. Nothing original comes out of Eric. Eric puts nothing on paper. Eric does not do the grunt work. I do the grunt work. So he, here's what used to happen, bro. I, 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 I used to write all the shows. Okay, Eric never wrote a show. I would write all the shows, pass them along to Eric. He would give me his red line nonsense. And, and then basically after the show aired, he would bury things. You know, the, the, the Monday morning quarterback? That yeah. would piss me off more than that. Because I would say, wait a minute, bro. You got the shows. You got these shows before the end. So now here's what he was doing now, bro. He was going on the internet. He was hearing what those morons were saying. And he was mirror, mirroring it. Okay? So, bro, what did I do? I called Brad Siegel. And I said, Brad, because I didn't know what the freaking pecking order was. Bro, Brad calls an emergency meeting. And I had to fly to California to meet with Brad. And it was me, Brad, and Eric. Okay? And, bro, I did what Vince Russo always does. I said, listen, I said, Brad, I can't work this way. I said, I don't know what kind of a, a, a agreement or arrangement you have with, with uh, uh, Eric Bischoff. I said, so I'll tell you what. Let Eric write the TV. Let Eric, he obviously wants to, he obviously wants to be in charge. Let Eric write the TV. Bro, I said this right in front of Eric. And bro, Brad Siegel, whoa, 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 whoa. He backtracked. You know why he backtracked, bro? Because he knew I was doing the work. He knew I was doing the work. So what he, was he, Eric's value to them then? If, if he knew you were doing all the writing. Bro, that's a good question. I, I, see, that's the thing, bro. I don't know exactly what else Eric was doing. Okay, I don't know if at that point Eric's working on contracts again or Eric's helping, you know, cut, cut down bud. I don't know what else he's doing. But I said, Brad, let Eric write the TV. No freaking problem because I know he can't. And I knew he would fall flat on his face if he did. And, and, and Brad said, no, 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 Vince, you're, you are writing the television. And he kind of called Eric off at that point. Bro, guess what the next show was? Bash at the Beach. That was the next show. Fast forward to TNA, bro. Okay? Fast forward to TNA. Jer Believe it or not, bro, of all people, I don't know how, Jeremy Borash was good friends with Bret Hart. OK, this was before Brett really made a comeback uh, at the WWE. OK, bro. So. Jeremy hooks me up with Brett on the phone. OK, and me and Brett have a long discussion about him coming into TNA as the commissioner. Bro, he hadn't gone back to WWE yet. OK. I got Brett on board. I got Brett all excited. What do I do, bro? I go, I tell Eric, okay? Bro, Eric is 100% on board. Okay, bro, 100%. So now, now that Eric's on board, I go to Dixie. I tell D Dixie's 500% on board. You know, D Dixie loved when people like Sting and Caroline worked for her. Now, now a Bret Hart. So she was 8,000% on board. Okay, bro, everybody's on board now, right, bro? Bre Brett's coming in. Now, mm -hmm. now it's dollars and cents. What does Hogan do? Not going to work for me, brother. And what would Dick Dixie had given him creative control?
Not going to work with, for me, brother. Uh-uh. Bret Hart is not coming into this company. Okay, bro? Eric told me this. Okay? So now, bro, what happens? Here's what happens. Dixie's all excited about bringing Bret in. Hogan's putting the x on it. So now Eric's middled because Eric doesn't want Dixie to be, you know, pissed off at Hulk. So now what does Eric start doing? He starts burying Brett. He starts telling all the, Dixie all these reasons why Brett should not come into the company. So he has Vince Russo again. Wait, hold on, bro. Hold the phone. Wait a minute. I said, Eric, stop with the bullshit. You are 100% on board. Hogan played his creative control cards. I said, just say that. But I said, but I'll be damned if, if I'm going to stand here and let you bury a guy that I respect very much. I, res- I respect Bret Hart more than anybody. Bro, you're not going to bury Bret Hart in front of me. Who'd you say this in front of? Who was there? Oh, D- Dixie, Dixie and Eric. I said, so just stop your bullshit, bro. It, it is what it is. Hulk doesn't want him coming in. Don't don't be freaking burying Brett, right? So now, bro, a big hellabaloo, okay, that now Dixie has to bring her lawyer in, and there's a big sit-down with Dixie and her lawyer and me and Eric, this big sit-down. I said the same exact thing. Bro, you know what was incredible in this meeting? This is Eric Bischoff to a T. Okay? So Dixie's got her lawyer there, me, Eric. Um, I, I think Matt Conway was there. I'm not sure. But I repeat the same thing. Eric was 100% on board. Hogan played his creative control card. I don't have a problem with that, Dixie. You gave Hogan the creative control card. But I'm not going to freaking sit here and let Eric Bischoff bury Bret Hart. I'm I'm not gonna allow that to happen, bro. What was he saying about him? Like that he was unreliable? Like what? Oh, he's too old. He's unreliable. You know, he's broken. I, I mean, just burying him to justify it to Dixie. He okay? said Bret. You had Hogan and Flair there, and he was saying yes. Bret Hart yes. was too old. Yes. Okay. Now, bro, here's where, here's where I was done, forever, with Eric Bischoff. Okay. Eric, he's got nowhere to go now because I'm calling him out in front of Dixie and the lawyer. He's got nowhere to go. Okay, bro, you know what he does? He starts telling Dixie things that I told him about her in confidence. Bro, I'm sitting there and like there was a part of me that was like, I can't believe you're because he had no he was like in the corner. He, he did it in no, front of you. He's saying it to her oh, while right, you're there. Right in front of me. And, and, and there's a part of me that's saying, I cannot believe that you are. T-. Because the things I was telling him in confidence, bro, I was trying to smarten him up about how the company was run because him and Hogan came in and they thought they were going to do great things. And I was like, guys, let, let me explain to you the Dixie effect. You're, you're not going to be able to achieve what you think you can achieve. So you and did bro, say those things. You did say yeah, those Yeah, well, things. bro, that, that's the thing. Thank God. Everything I had told him about Dixie, and it wasn't personal, bro. It was about how she ran the company. Bro, I've ha- I had those discussions with her. 
So now Eric's talking about, you know, well, Dixie, he said this, that, and the other thing. Bro, here's where, like, I, I, like, I couldn't believe what was happening. He's telling her all this shit about me. Now Dixie takes her chair and turns it directly to me. Eric's freaking laughing like a freaking hyena now. Exactly what he wanted to happen. Thank God everything he brought up, I had said to Dixie. Because it was about the way she ran the company. So I sat there very calmly. Yes, Dixie, I said that. You and I talked about that, remember? Yes, Dixie. It was nothing personal. It was all about the way she ran the company. Yes, Dixie, I told him that. Yes, Dixie, I said that. Yes, Dixie, I said that. Okay? I, 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 I owned up to all of it. Bro, do you know what Eric's spin is on that on that meeting? On the meeting? What? Yeah. You know what he tells people, bro, and he still tells people to this day? That he made me cry in the meeting. He tells people that to this day. He made me cry in that meeting because he exposed me. In other words, bro, no, bro, you you didn't expose anybody, bro. You told Dixie things I told you in confidence to smarten you up and to help you out. That's why I told you those things so you would have an understanding of this coming. But to say I cried, but that tells you what Eric's personality is. He's a freaking bully, bro. He wants to believe in his mind, I literally cried in that meeting. But that's the whole that's the whole premise of why we don't get along. Bro, he's a bully. People are beneath him. He talks down to people. He wa- he wants people fearing him. Bro, I hate people like that. I freaking hate people like that, and that's why him and I despise each other. How do you recover from something like that in a work situation? You guys have to both leave that meeting, right? Yeah. You got to leave the meeting with yeah. Dixie, and you got to go make TV. What yeah, happened? Bro, I, 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 I was gone a couple months later. I left. I left. I, I left just a couple months right after that. I left. Do, do you guys have a moment, you and, and Eric, where you, you you confront him about or he says something to you? Bro, or... you want to know something? I swear to God, Sean, I remember it to this day. And I never told anybody this. After that big fallout, the next time. I had a I, I had to work together with him again creatively. It was in a hotel room. Um, I think it was me, Conway. I don't remember who was there. Whatever, bro. I swear to God, I went. In, I, I was feeling uncomfortable, and I went into the bathroom. Bro, my entire body was breaking out in hives. Did you cry? No. And, and bro, that had never that had never happened to me before. So I don't know if it was a stressful reaction. I don't know what it is. But, bro, it was like after that that I knew I can't, I can't, work, I can't work with this guy anymore. You actually became allergic to Eric Bischoff. Yeah, Maybe, may bro. Maybe. But it, it, it literally was when I was looking at these red patches like out of my – I was like, I can't – I literally can't work with this guy anymore. That's probably, though, you think about that relationship between a creative, right, between a writer or a director and the the studio head, right? That that kind of stress happens all the time. Like, you know, they, they ride somebody and they, they, they maybe they're uh, they're 
looking over their shoulder with the content, with the production, and then the movie, the box office receipts come in. Whose fault is it? Is it yeah. is it the well, studio? Bro, see, is it the that, director? That's, that's another thing that happened. See, Sean, I don't know if you know a lot of this or not, but there there are so much there there is such a narrative painted about me and people have painted these narratives for a reason they've painted they've painted the narratives to protect themselves okay here's here's a little tidbit to people don't know about tna okay paul Heyman's name got brought up in the creative process i i think this is before eric and hulk dixie comes to me you know what i say great idea dixie i think paul Heyman could help this company Okay, bro, Heyman and I have a couple of conversations on the phone hours and hours long. Okay, bro, the next step is I set up a meeting between Heyman and Dixie. Okay, bro, you know Paul Heyman and you know how easy Dixie is to work. So... Now there's a meeting between these two. I mean, come on. So so now, bro, listen to this. Dixie and and Dixie and Heyman have their meeting. After they meet, I go to Dixie. So Dixie, what's what's going on? I mean, I want to know. Is Paul Heyman working for the company? Whatever. Yeah, no, everything wasn't great. This and that. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna set him up with um. I can't even remember the guy's name who ran Spike, but I, I, yeah, I'm, he's going to go down. We're going to go down there. We're going to meet the guys from Spike, this, that, and the other thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, oh, that's great, Dixie. When are you guys going? Oh, no, I'm not going. Paul's going by himself to talk to the Fox, to talk to the Spike executives. I was like, Dixie, do you know what you just did? Like, do you, Dixie, do you know what you just did? What did she expect him to do down there? Talk to them about what? He wasn't hired yet. Just to see if they they bonded. I said, Dixie, he's going to bury you. He's going to bury this company. He's going to sell himself, Dixie, at any cost. Do you know what you did? Okay, so, bro, sure enough, Heyman meets with them. Dixie now gets smartened up. Okay, bro. But in the interim, Heyman convinces them that after all these years, bro, now we need an executive producer of the show. So that's how he positioned himself. That's how he positioned himself. He's so now, best. bro, now, now Spike is on. We, we need an executive producer. We need an executive producer. We need an executive producer. What do you think this idiot does? This idiot right here, because every, everything I ever did, bro, was for, I thought was for the best of the company. I was the moron who told Dixie to hire Bruce. I created a job for Bruce knowing damn well Bruce was going to undercut me I I knew damn well he was going to undercut me but his wife was battling cancer his kids were small he could not find a job so I'm like freaking Vince you know what he's gonna do but you got to do the right thing we created a position for him 
an entire week, every time I turn around, there's Bruce and Dixie, Bruce and Dixie, and I know exactly what's going on. I know the freaking game. Bro, a week later, he was my boss. A week later, he – and I knew it. I, I knew it, but that's where the Christian part of me comes in. Bro, you got to do the right thing. The, the, guy, the guy needs work, okay? So now we get to the executive producer. We need an executive producer. We need. What do you think this moron says? Who, who's best qualified for that job? You gave it to Paulie. Eric you, you Bischoff. Said? Eric Bischoff. Oh, oh. Eric did it. He did it. I, I, bro, I, I say Eric should get that job. If they want an executive producer, Eric should get that job. Eric gets the job. So now what does Eric do, bro? Eric goes to Eric has a one way channel with freaking Spike, and the entire time he's burying me. And he's burying my writing and he's burying my credit. Now, bro, after working with Spike for 10 years and there never being an issue, never being a problem with me and their executives, uh, Scott Fishman, never, ever a problem. Now, all of a sudden, there, there's a little friction between myself and Spike. This is how they work, bro. This is how Eric works. This is this is how the bubble works. The Heymans. That's why I'm sitting here, bro. You know what happens? You know what happens, I think, Sean? Bro, when you're 35 and 40, you can handle it. Mm. Bro, I'm going to be 60. Do you really think that I want that to be my effing life at 60 years old with those characters, bro, doing the same exact shit never in a million. Sean, I am not kidding you. My right hand to God. If, if, if say ratings don't improve, okay, bro, right hand to God, Vince McMahon could call me tomorrow and say, Vince, I am, I, I will pay you a million dollars to come write the television. My first question would be, okay, bro, I'll be happy to do that, Vince, but is it going to be the way it was? Is it going to be the way it was where I write the TV, you and I sit down, you make everything better, and that's the TV we do? Okay, that, that would be my first question. But, bro, for a million dollars... You could not put me in that structure with those people for a million bucks, bro. I wouldn't touch it. I think, though, that I mean, that's it's not unique to wrestling. I think most most entertainment vehicles are 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 that way. The struggle between creatives and uh, high powered finance on Wall Street. I mean, people are you know trying to push other people out the window for for the same thing. I think that. Um, I don't know. Maybe your values were were a little too in line to 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 function at that level of wrestling yeah. or finance or yeah. entertainment. If you were a screenwriter, you'd probably be having the same bullshit with the producer. That's and bro, that's why I was most successful when I was at the WWE because none of this existed. Because I was successful for Vince, Vince had my back. Everybody knew if you screw with Russo, you screw with me. Because Bruce tried to screw with me. And and the minute I saw it, I went to Vince. And I said the same. I, I was like, Vince, I'm not used to this. I'm, I'm not used to this. I just want to write a good show, bro. 
But I, I don't know what Bruce is doing, but I don't th- – this ain't my game. Bro, whatever, whatever Vince said to Bruce never, ever, ever, ever bothered me again. It was over. So th- th- there's a reason why I was as successful as I was at the WWE, bro, because I was able to do my job. Let me ask you the million-dollar question because it's been a long time since the nanny comment. It's been um, that nanny comment was outside of Triple H's knowledge or realm or earshot. Same with Shane. Same with Stephanie. Okay. Has a McMahon contacted you since then? Oh, no, bro. Bro, I had – I'd say – what's this? 2019 – Three years ago, remember good old Pete Gas? Yeah. Pete Gas got me and Shane on the phone. Okay, bro, this is when the ratings were still free falling, but still like not where they are today. Okay, got me on the phone with Shane. Bro, this is what blew me away. You know how the McMahons are, bro? Very close to the vest. They never show their emotions, never show how they really feel. Bro, I had not talked to Shane in 15 years. First thing he does, buries the product to me. I was like, what? Buries it. Now, what's Barry, his position there at the time? He's, he what? just came back. He okay. just came back to the WWE on TV. Buries. Buries it. Okay? And I was like, holy shit. Who's you he know? blaming? Is he blaming his father? Is he blaming Trips? Who's he blaming? He was blaming everybody. Okay? Everybody, bro. He never knew the real reason why I left. And I said, Shane, I said, I want to ask you a question. Why do you think I left the WWE? Well, my dad told me you left to go get more money at WCW. I said, yeah, well, Shane, man to man, let me tell you why I left. And I told Shane about the nanny comment. And you know what Shane said to me, bro? He said, Vince, he treats his own grandkids that way. So like Shane knew I was telling the truth. He he knew, you know, he says he treats his, his, his own grandkids that way. I'm not surprised. Okay. So now he's like, bro, you need to contact Vince. Okay. You need to contact Vince. You need to come back and write. Okay. Bro, keep in mind that. I wasn't making what I'm making now. You know, I mean, my, I was just starting in podcasting and it, I, it was still a struggle, you know? So he goes like this. He goes, bro, I want you to write an email to Vince. Okay. Send it to me before you send it to him. I'm going to go over it. I'm going to make sure everything's perfect. And I'm going to give Vince a heads up and let him know he's going to be getting an email from somebody. Okay, Shane, no problem. Sat down. Wrote Vince an email. And you got to be very careful. You see, bro, I have never, bro, since I've left that company, Sean, I've never asked Vince for a job again. I've never asked him for a job. I think part of the reason Bischoff and Pritchard are there, bro, I think they ask for jobs. 
I, I literally believe they needed jobs. And Vince, you know, he, Vince is funny that way. When when you need him and when you make it clear that I need you, he'll take you back. My approach is always, and, and it's the wrong approach with Vince McMahon. My approach is always Vince, if ever I can help you in any way. Because right away, hell, I, I don't need anybody. I, I know it. I know. But, bro, I'm not going to ask him for a job. So, bro, I write out this thing. I sent it to Shane. Shane tweaks it a little bit, okay? Says, okay, Vince, send it to Vince. I send the email to Vince. This is about, God, bro, it had to be like three years ago, I would think, four years ago maybe. I, I don't remember. Vince writes me back. You ready for this? There are no positions available. That's it? So Shane calls me back. Did you send it to Vince? Did you send it to Vince? Yes, yeah, Shane, not only did I send it to Vince, I got a response. What do he say? What do he say? Well, Shane, he told me there were no positions available. Bro, Shane could not believe it. Could not believe it. And I say, he goes, well, he goes, Vince, he goes, I don't know what to say. Um, I, I, I don't know what to say. And, um, you know, bro, it, it's funny because... You know, like I said, I've never asked them for a job back. Um, I have said in in some private emails because you know you know why, Sean? Because the show is so hard for me to watch that I'm like, bro, like, can we fix this show? Like, can we just so I can watch it? Like, can we just fix the show so I can watch it? So, bro, you know, throughout the years, I've always, bro, if there's ever anything I could do, if there's ever anything you know I could help you with, does you he know, write you back? Bro, you know what he writes back every single time? T-H-X. But, bro, I don't feel bad about that because Jericho has said Vince answers his emails the same exact way. T-H-X. Okay? So, Pritchett and Bischoff get hired, and now I'm sitting here like, are you freaking, like, are you serious? (laughs) So, bro, I kind of wrote him. I'd say it was a half scathing email. And I just said, Vince, a a a a 35-year-old Vince Russo told you 20 told you 25 years ago your show sucks. I said, Vince, now a 58-year-old Vince Russo is telling you the same thing. Your show sucks, bro. We, we've come full circle. I'm telling you the same thing now that I told you, bro, back in 1996. I'm telling you the same. And, bro, I pulled no punches. Your show sucks. The show is horrible. And I said, bro, you ever need anybody to watch the show that's going to give you a fair assessment? of what you need to do to fix this show, I said, let me know. I said, "Um, if you feel there isn't a need to fix the show, I said, so be it. I said, but I just want you to know, if, if you want somebody that's going to give you an honest critique of why this show is awful, I am always available to do that for you. And this was just when they went back? This was maybe a month ago. Oh. Did you, yeah. did you get a THX? No, he he did not answer that yeah, one. Did not answer. And that. I knew he would. I mean, the minute I said your show sucks, I knew it, it was. I knew it was a good answer. Yeah, I didn't think you. I don't think you sent that with the intention of uh, no, falling no. into 
Papa's uh, waiting arms. Yeah. Well, Vince, what's next for you? Do you you probably have six recordings today, right? A Twitch, a uh, remember I, I interviewed you for my book for, for father's blood i, said, yeah, I just need yeah. some some time to talk to you about you the family talk about your family the kids and everything you say yeah yeah go, go online so i go online we skype or whatever you're like all right you're live on twitch now you were like you were recording <laughs> the interview for what would become oh, yeah. the book so i, like, oh, yeah. I wasn't ready to perform right here i was just going to have a conversation so you've probably got some recordings planned today who's Bro, on your I show do today that all the time when i am on twitch Okay, bro, if my phone rings, I hit the, you know, I answer the phone and I and I tell him we are on Twitch, whether it's my father, you know, whether it's my son, whoever it is, disco, I say, guys, we're live on Twitch. Bro, I, I got three things going. And one thing I'm really excited about, I think you're going to like this. You know, first of all, bro, like you said, with the brand, bro, we do over a dozen shows a week. Um, it's it's less than a dollar a week, bro. Uh, people on that network, bro, are Disco Inferno, Stevie Richards, Ben Hameen, Goldilocks, Big Vito Lagrasso, Shane Douglas, you know, has his own show on there. I'm going to start doing an AEW review with somebody from the business when that show starts. You get all these shows, bro, every single week, less than a buck a week. You just go to Russo'sBrand.com. Um I'm on Twitch all the time, bro. I, I do raw watch-alongs. Bro, here's the funny thing. I'm on Twitch. I do raw watch-alongs. I do uh, SmackDown watch-alongs. Every Saturday night, I go live on Skype on Twitch. And I say, bro, anybody has – all you people that have been talking shit about me, here's where I am every Saturday night. Anybody is welcome to call in, bro. Anybody can call into my show. I accept every single phone call. Never one negative per ever. Never. Not, I've never gotten one person tell me you're this, you're that, the other thing. So he, so here's Amy Russo, her husband on the road for years in WWE and then WCW. So finally he's out of the business. He's going to have free time. He's going to try this little podcast thing and talk for an hour a day, whatever. Your life is invaded by the business again. Oh, uh, yeah. And she you got she cameras all over the place. She yells at me all the time because I'm always in the basement. Yeah. But, bro, here's the thing that I'm excited about now. There's going to be a lot of uh, Pornhub. A lot, a lot of uh, feathers are going to be ruffled. Okay. I got two shows left on Westwood One. And I am moving truth with consequences over to my Patreon exclusively. That show, Truth with Consequences, is going to remain. It's going to be on Patreon, patreon.com, Russo, TWC. Okay? That show, Truth with Consequences, is being taken over by none other than Vic Venom. This is your alter ego. Now, well, I don't know because Vic Venom has told me, first of all, he's telling me I'm out of touch. He's telling me I got no balls. He's telling me I'm, I'm irrelevant. He's telling me I'm holding back what I really want to say. Um, we've had Skype calls. He tells me I look like a freaking old man. Um, meanwhile, bro, I think people are going to be surprised. Uh, Vic Venom has not aged that much. So now he is going to come on the Patreon, bro, and like I, I've said God has my fil God is my filter. I don't know how much of a filter he'll have. 
Now, is this a way for you to be okay with Christ and say things that would be uh, considered unholy? No, bro, because everything I do and everything I say is in the form of entertainment. I, I do I do not attack or bury anybody on a personal level. I don't. Tell everybody how amusing it was when we had to pick up Terry Runnels oh, in my the God. airport. I you know that dog died. You hear that dog died? I didn't hear that. I talked yeah. about it in my, my last book, The Business of Kayfabe. I talked about the things that you sometimes have to do. Yeah. Oh, when you come, so I pick up Vince, and her plane's delayed a little bit. And Okay, no problem. I say to Vince, how's Terry? I never worked with Terry before. And Vince says, she's cool, but, bro, a lot. And I go... Yeah, but like good or bad? He's like, no, no, listen, listen. A lot. <laughs> and I didn't know what he was talking about. So uh, within a half hour, Terry lands with bags, which I expected, a dog, which I didn't expect. She's a big personality. She's a tiny little thing, this Terry oh, Runnels. Yeah. Big, but she, big. Fills, she filled the airport yeah. the, the minute she got off. And we get we get in the plane. We get her. We get in the car. I fight. Now, first, what do you do with a dog in the back seat? The thing, first of all, was the size of like uh, a a dollhouse oh, dog. Do not you, a dollhouse. It was like the size of a rat. Bro. Yeah. You, like, do you, you strap nice, it in? What do you do? So she's got no. this gimmick. This this pillow that she puts in the back that the dog rides on. So he's sliding all over back there. And, he he was, but he was the most. Is it he or she? The dog. I think it was a he, right? I think it was a he. Yeah. He was the most well-behaved living thing in the car that day between you yeah. me and, and Terry. So we're driving and we're trying to set up the schedule because Terry's going to uh, be picked up to to go do something else at like five o'clock, and we're like, eh, we're only going to get about an hour of show in. Well, what if we can shoot it and then just come and shoot the tail of it tomorrow? Wear the same clothes. She's like, well, I just probably need. 15 minutes to uh, to get ready vince yeah. leans over to me he's in the passenger he goes bro an hour easy easy, easy. it was easy. good i was with somebody who had worked with terry before so i could plan my day uh accordingly bro i gotta tell you so i love terry runnels to this day i do love her but bro honestly you know i've worked with got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of females bro she was the highest maintenance far and away Far and away, bro. I don't even know if anybody came close. I mean, bro, Sonny was not, was nothing compared to her, bro. Nothing. But remember how long we had to wait for her and shit, bro? What was it with the room that she she wanted to change in your room and you didn't want to let her use yeah, your she, room? <laughs> yeah, she wanted to change in my room and all kinds of shit. Bro, you know what the funny thing is, though? Seriously, bro. And like some people, I don't know if they find this hard to believe and stuff. Bro, the women in general, like, were never high maintenance. They weren't. They they really, 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 I mean, Sable wasn't high maintenance. Sonny really wasn't high maintenance. But uh, Terry was. Yeah. But you know what? She delivered. The show was great. It was a great show. And you know what? She sent me the nicest card afterward, like about a month after that, just like just for yeah, for the crew yeah, being expected. respectful and professional. And I don't know why she expected any different, I, but uh, it was very they nice did, of her to do that. They did one of the nicest things for me, bro, that not one of probably the nicest thing for me that anybody ever did in the wrestling business. And I'll never, ever, ever forget it, bro. Um we were at the height of Goldust, okay? 
we were flying to New York to do the Conan O'Brien show. That that's where we were with freaking Goldust. Is okay, that when bro. you saw his schwanz? He was walking around the room. That was a different. That was uh, oh. Atlantic City. Yeah, okay. God, bro. He hung like so, an elk, bro, right? Huh? Hung like an elk. Oh my God, bro! Forget about it. Forget about it. So, bro, we're going to New York. We're doing. We're gonna do the Conan O'Brien show. I go. I, I I'm, I'm walking to coach. I pass them in first class. Bro, I, bro, I never, ever, ever rode in first class, ever. Bro, do you know when we were at TNA? Please keep this in the interview. Bro, do you know every week when I would go to Nashville for TNA? Bro, you know where I stayed? The Holiday Inn Express. At your That's choice? Right. That was your choice? Uh, no, the Dixie put us there. I, I had no problem with it. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. You know, the Holiday Inn Express. Bro, do you know when Eric got hired by the company, he had to stay at the most expensive hotel in Nashville that was literally a half a mile down the road from the Holiday Inn Express. He, he could not stay at a Holiday Inn Express. Okay, bro, that, that, that's what I'm talking about. Mm. Shit like that, it doesn't fly me. But anyway, let me get back to this story. Bro, never rode first class. Even when I was riding all those shows for Raw, never, ever got a first-class ticket. So those guys are sitting in first class. I go to the back of the plane. I'm you know, doing whatever I'm doing. Bro, the freaking stewardess comes back, brings me up to – they bump me up to first class. Terry and Dustin. Yeah. Paid. Bro, do that. you know – do you know – when I was sitting there, Dustin laughed at me because, bro, I didn't even realize the drinks were for free. Like, I, di- I didn't know first-class etiquette. I knew nothing. So, like, they asked me if I wanted a drink, and uh, and I said, no, no, thank you. So, Dustin's like, bro, why don't you get a drink? I'm like, bro, I'm not paying freaking $10 for a drink. He just busted out laughing. Right. He goes, bro, you don't pay for that shit. And I had no idea. But, I, bro, I never, ever rode first class. Not even WWE when you were riding ever. in the Attitude Era. Bro, that was the only time I ever sat first class on a plane. Tremendous. Well, my friend, uh, I value your time. And I would just like to give you a heartfelt THX (laughs) for coming out and uh, joining me this afternoon. Bro, that was one of many interviews that I had with Vince Russo. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, bro. Let me just tell you something. I'm going to be very honest with you. He does not rub off on me whatsoever. Okay? People say, oh, you know, you got all these DVDs out with this guy, and now he's on your podcast two, two freaking weeks in a row. Two freaking weeks in a row, this Vince Russo's on your podcast, bro. But guess what? It does not matter. My show does not change whether Vince Russo's on or JR or like Bob Roop. This show would be the freaking same. I'm going to answer fan questions now on Twitter. 
I'm gonna gonna scroll to the Twitter, bro. Right here. Daniel Carr asks, you ever had an interview booked with someone and have them pass away before you got to do it? Not booked. We had a close call with Gary Hart. Some people might remember that. We did a guest booker. And then the next day, the gentleman passes away. True story. Swear, Swear to God. Uh, Never had anybody booked and they passed away. I don't think. I'm thinking. I don't don't, want to lie to you, bro. I don't want to lie to you people. So I'm trying to think right now. And I don't think that happened. There were people I wanted that passed away. But that's, that's not this question. AZ says, what is John the Revelator up to these days? What does he do for a living? I think he'll do anything you want for a living, bro. I think he'll stand out on the street with a sandwich board on his chest and advertise your hot dog stand or maybe your income tax place or he'll do your car for you or he'll do your wife. Anything you got money for, bro, John the Revelator is down. I hope he is alive and well. Kevin asks, was there one that got away that you couldn't get to do a video with you? Bro, Dusty Rhodes? How do I have a series called Guess Booker and not have Dusty Rhodes on it? That's ridiculous. I should be ashamed of myself. And, and you know what? I look at some of these bastards, and they look like they got days left. I ain't had Bill Watts on. He's got to do a guest booker, right? How do you have a series? Bro, how do you have a series called Guest Booker, and you don't have the great bookers? You just you got to do it, bro. You got to do it. All right. That's Sean Oliver's Kayfabe podcast for this week. This has been a... Listen, we're going to be back next week, right? Reach out at Kayfabe Sean, at Kayfabe P for the podcast. This has been a production of Sean Oliver Media, copyright 2019. The music here by the great Kevin McLeod. Licensed through a Creative Commons attribution license with Mr. McLeod. We will see you next time.